So the night before Jesus went to the cross, he had one last meal with his disciples. That meal was a part of a Jewish celebration that the people of Israel had commemorated for centuries. And the gospel writer Luke puts it this way in Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations to eat the Passover. In the Jewish celebrations, the feast of unleavened bread and the Passover were back to back on the calendars. One was day 10 through 14, the other day 15 through 21. And so often when we hear of the feast of unleavened bread or the Passover, we're talking about the same thing. After Jesus had prepared, after the supper was prepared, Jesus said this to his disciples. Chapter 22, verse 19. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now, it's interesting, in the New Testament, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, is closely associated with this Old Testament celebration we call the Passover. In fact, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for Christ are what? Our, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Christ, our Passover lamb. Peter, when he's writing his first uh, book, or his First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So it's not with that stuff. But you were redeemed with the what? the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Peter and Paul, when they're writing, liken Jesus to this lamb of the, that was sacrificed at Passover. In fact, when Jesus was first introduced, his earthly ministry was introduced by John the Baptist. You remember John chapter 1, verse 20 time, 29 John sees Jesus coming down the road, and he says, look, the, the Lamb of God. That's how he's first introduced. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here's what we want to do today. Here's the question. What connection is there between Jesus and the Old Testament Passover instituted way back in Exodus? Is it simply a coincidence that his death took place over the Jewish celebration of the Passover, or is there some sovereign significance? And the follow-up question is always, when we put forth the truth or see a truth in Scripture, the next question we have to ask is what? So what? How does that truth impact my life? What am I going to do because of that truth. So let's see the truth and then see how we can apply it. What, what, what practical difference does it make in our lives? So take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 11. 
Let me set the context. Last time we saw that God tagged Moses to go talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Pharaoh was having none of it. And so God sent 10 plagues in order to convince Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go out of slavery, leave the slavery of Egypt, and go into freedom. Uh, You remember the plagues? We saw they were all against the gods of, of, of Egypt. Uh, We saw that God turned the Nile into blood. There were frogs, gnats, flies, and locusts that invaded the land. Livestock died. Boils broke out on people. Hell destroyed the crops. Pitch black darkness covered the land. Four reasons for the plague we talked about last time. God's judgment on uh, Egypt for putting Israel into slavery. God's power. Egypt needed to see that, but Israel needed to see it as well. They were going to follow this God to a brand new day. God's protection, Uh, we'll see again today that God would uh, bring a a, a plague on the land of Egypt. But in Goshen, in that area where Israel stayed, uh, no plague would occur there. And then God's deliverance. God's going to use this to free the nation of Israel from slavery. Now, the final plague was the most severe. And it aimed directly at Pharaoh, who, remember, thought he was what? God. Thought he was God. Aimed right at him. Here's the way the last plague was communicated to Pharaoh. Chapter 11, verse 4 through 8. Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at the handmill. From the, from the highest to the lowest status of that day, every firstborn son is going to die. All the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than has ever been or ever will be. But, here's the distinction, among the Israelites in that land of Goshen, where the Israelites live, not a dog will bark at any man or animal, And then you'll know that God makes a distinction. He makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will leave. And then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Now remember, God's going to make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So prior to the plague of the firstborn, God made special arrangements with his people, gracious arrangements. The instruction was specific and it was detailed. And those who followed what God said, those who followed God's instruction, those who acted in obedience and trust that God's word was true, then God demonstrated power to deliver them. What was about to happen in the land of Israel, in the land of Egypt, was so significant in Israel that it changed their calendar. This became the first month of their year. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community 
of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb, a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the whole lamb, then share it with one of the nearest neighbors, having taken into account the number of people uh, there are. You are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. So every household was to take a lamb uh, on the 10th day of the month. If their family was small, then they were to find a neighbor to share it, and they were to come in together, and they were to take this lamb, and there were some specific instructions regarding what was to happen. Look at verse 5. The animal you choose must be your old males without defect, and you must take them from the sheep or the goats. So it's got to be a year-old male. It can't have any defect, visible defect to it. And you can take it as a little lamb, or you can take it as a kid from the goats. Now, a lame or spotted or off-color lamb was just as tasty as a perfect one, right? So it wasn't about the taste buds. The instruction was a symbol that a perfect God demands a perfect sacrifice. Look at verse 6. Take care of this animal until the 14th day. So for for four days, this animal is going to be among you. You can get to know him. Four, Four days. Then on the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel... All the people of the community must slaughter that little lamb at twilight. Uh, twilight there, we know what twilight is, but that word there could mean in the, in the evening time or it could mean actually from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Most scholars believe it's 3 to 5 because of all the things that need to happen after the lamb is slaughtered. Then, verse 7, you're to take some of the blood and you're to put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw. That's what the pagans do. Don't cook it in water. You don't have time for that. But you're to roast it over a fire. You're not to butcher it. You're to put the whole lamb over the fire prepared for roasting. Don't leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you have to burn it. And that's the instruction regarding the food. Now, here's how you need to eat it. Look at verse 11. With your cloak tucked in your belt. In that day, they wore long robes. And you can imagine if you're running in long robes, you can get tripped up in the robes. Or if you're walking fast in long robes, you can get tripped up in the robes. So soldiers or those uh, running or walking would take the robe put it up, and they would tuck it in their belt to get it away from their feet. That's how I want you to eat it. You need to be ready to roll. You need to be ready to go. You also need to have sandals on your feet. In homes, they were barefoot. But you need to have sandals on your feet because I got a road trip for you planned. And you need to have a staff in your hand. Normally, you had a staff in your hand when you were walking around, not in your house. You didn't need a staff. But here, eat it with a staff in your hand because you're going to eat this thing fast. Eat in Haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Eat in haste. It is the Lord's 
Passover. Now, how is an animal going to provide the protection needed for a family? And how can blood on a doorpost protect a family? Well, remember, the animal was to be sacrificed in faith. It was in obedience to God's destruction. Later in uh, Leviticus, Moses wrote that the, that, the, that the life of a creature is, is in the blood. We know that, right? It's, it's the lifeblood that flows through us. When we don't have that, we, we die. The lifeblood is in the creature. And so the, the blood demonstrated life. And when the blood was on the doorpost, it demonstrated that life had been taken, that, that a life had been sacrificed. There was nothing sacred about the doorpost of a house, but it was the entry into the home. And so there on that doorpost, entering the home, the most prominent place of the home, there was to be blood at the top of the doorpost and on both sides. That's what you're to do. Now notice one other thing that's significant. The, the, the blood is to be spread over the doorposts before you do anything else, before you eat. And the significance of that is because the blood on the doorpost is the primary thing you've got to take care of. That's the primary purpose for these instructions. The preparation of the animal is important. The eating of the animal is important. The eating together, if you have a small family, that's good instruction. Ready to travel? Yeah, but the most important thing is to make sure you have that, that lifeblood on the doorpost. Look at verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once. Don't wait. This is urgent. Go at once and slaughter the animals for your family and select the animals for your family and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, a bushy plant in that day, worked like a brush. Take hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and then put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of your house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of your door frame. And when he sees it, what will he do? He'll pass over, thus the name, that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike down your firstborn. So in the Passover of the Old Testament, God's getting his people ready to be delivered. He's getting his people ready to be freed from slavery. And the people trusting in God's provision of a sacrifice to deliver them. That's what we see. If the people do this, if you put that blood on the doorpost, you are trusting in God's word. You're trusting in God's promise. You're trusting that that sacrifice, that death, allows the death angel to pass over your house. And the other thing with this is Moses said, God told Moses, this is to be an ongoing ordinance. Don't forget this. Look at verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord has given you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, why in the world is this Passover about? What's this ceremony about? Why do we do this every year? Why do we make these preparations? Then here's what you tell them. 
very important. You see, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And at midnight, God did just what he said he was going to do. He sent the death angel. And the firstborn of every home was struck down from Pharaoh's house to the prisoner chained in the dungeon. Every person throughout the land except those who had what? The blood on the doorpost signifying a death had taken place. A sacrifice had been made. They escaped a judgment. Everyone else experienced judgment. And it was at that point that Pharaoh says, go. You and all your people, that two million, go. Don't want you here any longer. We'll pick up on that next week. For our remaining time as we get ready for communion, let's focus on the Passover and what that means for us today. When we consider the Passover, it it took place, most scholars think, around 1446 B.C. The, The Israelites heard God's instruction. They believed his promise. They did what he told them to do. They trusted in him. They placed their faith in his promise to deliver them from death, and he did. And while that story is based in history, it truly happened. When we think of the Passover, we think of deliverance. Every Israelite and their children after them, when they thought of the Passover, that was the night when God delivered us. Why do we always do this? That was the night when God delivered us. It really happened, and it was a great picture. Not coincidence that Jesus died on the Passover. Passover in Egypt was a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. Let's think through that. Later, Moses is going to write, he writes the first five books of the Bible. In Leviticus, he writes this. For the life blood of the creature, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and you and I've given it to you to make atonement, appeasement, satisfaction for yourselves on the altar. The life blood makes appeasement for you. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. It's the sacrifice that allows God to pass over you regarding his judgment. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews picks up that same thought right from Leviticus. And here's what he says in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. It says, in fact, the law requires nearly everything be cleansed by blood. Now, quite honestly, we don't think of blood as a cleansing agent, do we? But remember, it is the sacrifice, it's the life blood. When that's been poured out, that animal has been sacrificed. Someone has died in place of a person. And the lifeblood then cleanses us so that God's judgment doesn't come on us, but God's judgment was on the death of that animal. Cleansed with blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? 
There's no forgiveness. 700 years after the Exodus and 700 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus. And you can read in Isaiah 53. He was, uh, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. What, the, the punishment that should have been on us was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. You, many of you know that passage. Then Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 he says, the prophet does, he was oppressed and afflicted yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led, here we go again, still referring to Jesus as a what? As a lamb to the slaughter. Yet he didn't open his mouth. So it's no surprise then, is it, that when Jesus is introduced to us, he's introduced to us by John the Baptist, who says, look, as we saw earlier, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Then Peter, again, as we saw earlier, says, is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. You can't buy this. You can't earn this. It's not by those things that you're redeemed. The word redeemed, there are three Greek words that are translated redeemed in the New Testament. This one means to be set free, to be released. Just like the people in Israel were or, uh, Egypt were set free, so you're redeemed. You're set free from the slavery of sin. But that doesn't happen by buying it or earning it or doing something for it. The only way you're redeemed is what? With the precious blood of Christ, the death of Christ. And here we go again, a lamb, just like in the, in the instructions, without blemish or defect. And that's again why Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk first to those of you who don't know Christ. You've not come to the point in your life where you trusted in him alone as your personal savior. You're not a Christian just because you're born in the United States. And you're not a Christian just because you're not Muslim or Buddhist or Jew. And you're not a Christian uh, just because you grew up in church. And you're not a Christian because at some point you uh, took a first communion. And you're not a Christian because at some point in your church history you went through some type of confirmation. You're not purchased, you're not protected, you're not delivered by those things that we do. So here's my question to you. You're not a believer. You know that. Here's my question. Suppose you had been in Egypt, 1446 BC, and you got the instruction. Here's the deal. Take a lamb, slaughter it at twilight, roast it, Take some of the blood of the lamb. Go out and get a hyssop plant. Use it as a brush. Dip it into the blood from that slaughtered animal and put it on your doorpost because if you do that, your firstborn's not going to die. Would you do that? I would. I'm pretty sure if I had those instructions 
to save someone in my home, I would make certain that the, that the blood was on the doorpost. So if you would do that then for someone else, why wouldn't you do that now for yourself? Christ now is our Passover lamb. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot work our way to God. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. It deserves the judgment of death. But the Bible says that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been slain. He's the one who paid for the penalty for us. He died for us. His death now becomes our death. By his blood, that perfect sacrifice, we can have a relationship with the living God. My goodness, if you would have painted blood on the doorpost of a home in Egypt, why wouldn't you apply that same work of Jesus, not just a lamb, but the lamb, a one-time-for-all-time sacrifice? The Passover was just getting us ready for Jesus to come. And why wouldn't you apply his work to your life. Because if you don't, then God's judgment is going to come on you. And the Bible is very clear about that. That's eternal separation from God. The Bible's Jesus is not ashamed to call it hell. But if you trust in Jesus, if that, lamb, if that blood is on the doorpost, then the judgment that was, should have been on you, right, was on Jesus. He paid the penalty for us. He took care of our sin for us. Now, sometimes we ask a person if they're a believer and they say, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not positive. Let me just say, that's probably a pretty good sign you're not. Okay? If you don't know for sure, probably a pretty good sign you're not. So just think about it. You're in Egypt. You've just eaten. You're in bed and your wife says, hey, are you sure you put the blood on the doorpost? And you say, I can't remember. I don't know if I did or not. But I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to go to sleep. I think you'd be pretty sure to get up and go double check, right? that the blood was on the doorpost. Man, this is something that's urgent. This is something that we need to do in haste. This is something we need to be sure of because not a one of us, not a one of us have a guarantee for this afternoon, much less tomorrow. Not a one of us. And we're not taking age here. We're talking no one has a guarantee of this life. And after, so the question is, after you close your eyes in death, then what? I'd say that's a pretty important question to be able to answer, wouldn't you? I'd say that's a pretty important question to have nailed down. I don't think that's something you want to kind of wonder about or hope that you've kind of done enough works over here that your good works outweigh your bad. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. Have you trusted in Christ? 
For those of you who have trusted in Christ, let's look at one other passage. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter five. Let me set the context. The church in Corinth had some issues, a lot of issues. And that's why Paul wrote to deal with, with these issues. They had all kinds of things going on. And one of the things that was happening in the, among the church in Corinth was immorality. It was rampant. And as Paul wrote, you, 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 there's immorality in church that, that, that the, the pagans would be ashamed of. And the trouble was no one was doing anything about it. The leaders of the church were just turning a blind eye to people living in open sin. And they were almost acting in their, in, in their, and they're not dealing with it. They were almost acting like they were proud of it. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. So he says in verse six, your boasting is not good. It's like you're boasting about this, this, this gross immorality. It's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? You put a little yeast in a lump of dough and it, and it rises. It causes it to rise. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast so that you may be an unleavened batch. And listen to, listen to what Paul says. As you really are, that's who you are. So Paul's saying to the church in Corinth, you're not dealing with sin in the church and just like yeast impacts the whole lump of dough, so this sin impacts the whole church. Now let's take that principle and let's crank it down a little bit, all right? Same thing with our lives. A little yeast impacts that whole lump of dough, right? A little sin impacts our whole lives. But it's just a little sin, right? It's just a little gossip. It's just a little, just a little viewing of pornography. It's just a little innocent, flirtatious talk with someone, not my wife. It's a little shading of something financial. Just a little stuff, right? Paul says that's what infects the whole lump of dough. That's what infects the whole person. So Paul says, that's not who you are as a believer. That's not who you are. Live like who you are. Live like one who has been cleansed. For, here's the reason we can do that as believers. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's been done. We've trusted in him. We can now live a life of obedience. We can now live a life that honors him. We don't have to live in sin anymore because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. We've been cleansed in God's sight. We're, we're free. We're not slaves to sin. We're free people. Don't, Paul's saying, don't live like slaves. You've been delivered. You don't have to be chained to that old stuff anymore. just as the Israelites celebrated the Passover. So we celebrate God's deliverance 
in communion. That's why we do communion. Communion is for those who say, I have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way, not as, not as a good way or not as one of many ways, but as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. I, I, I believe God's word. I believe, just like the Israelites said, I believe, God, that the death angel's coming, and if I do these things, you're going to pass over me. So we believe that, that judgment's coming, right? And if we trust in Christ, then we have a relationship with him forever, for eternity. We pass from death to life. Death passes over us because of what Jesus has done. That's what we remember in communion. Three things we do in communion. Number one, we remember what Jesus has done. So if you're a believer taking this, hold the bread and the cup. Thank God for sending the Passover, not, not a Passover lamb, but the Passover lamb, one time for all time. Then we're told in 1 Corinthians 11, that as we take communion, we should examine ourselves. That we should see if there's that little yeast in there, that little sin that's impacting the whole bit. Because little sins just become big sins if we don't deal with them. We're all going to sin. But the believer's going to deal with their sin. They're going to keep a short list of sin. And communion just reminds us to do that. Now, we shouldn't just confess our sins at communion. But we're here right now. And this is a good time to do it. But we should ask forgiveness every day. We want to make sure the list of sin in our life is short. Then the one other thing. Communion is an anticipation for what God's going to do. Revelation chapter 19, 9. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to what? The wedding supper of the lamb. There it is again. And then he added, these words are true. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Now, I don't know what's going to be served at the wedding supper of the lamb. I'm imagining it's going to be pretty good. I know it's going to be more than a little cup and a cracker. (laughs) While these are symbolic, they are just a reminder, man, something really good is coming. Kind of like the appetizers. Kind of like the hors d'oeuvres. Something really good is coming. This is a reminder that you are going to sit down and eat at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So Thanksgiving, examination, anticipation. This is for believers only. If you've not, you don't have to be a member of our church. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God, please just let it pass. Our, our plea with you today is that today is the day you trust in Christ. Today is the day you see that picture of the blood painted on the doorpost and you, in effect, say, Jesus is my Passover lamb. I trust in his work on the cross and I want, I want his blood, as it were. I want his work, I want his death to be painted on my heart because I want that relationship with the living God. Father, be with us as we take the bread and the cup. Don't let us do this lightly. Don't let us do it as some liturgical tradition. Help us to be thankful. Help us to examine our hearts. 
Help us to anticipate what this, these symbols represent and that one day we're going to be with you forever. Do your work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.